Welcome, friends. You're listening to JOY, a podcast from St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm the Reverend Mary Vano, and today I'm happy to welcome Boyd Hutchins as our guest host. I met Boyd several years ago when he began attending St. Margaret's, and I've always enjoyed my conversations with him. In fact, I always learn something. He's had a unique spiritual path, and I can always count on Boyd to bring his knowledge, good humor, and inquisitive faith to any discussion. Boyd, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Mary. I'm glad to be here. So today I wanted to talk about the sacrament of Holy Communion. And I wanted to have this conversation with you, Boyd, because from previous discussions, I know how important communion is to you. So Boyd, tell us what communion means to you. Uh, So how much time do we have, Mary? Lots. Lots. Infinite. (laughs) Okay. Well, my my view of the meaning of communion and how I've come to internalize that in in my life really started back in the mid-90s. I was a relatively new Christian at the time, probably been a Christian about five years or so, and I was really struggling in my faith. I still believed. I still studied the scriptures and had fellowship with fellow Christians, but I didn't see the spiritual reality that I was expecting, that spiritual reality that Christ talked about, how the church should be, the spiritual reality that Paul described in Romans 12 with transforming of your mind and living in community and preferring others before yourself. And some of the churches that I'd been in, they kind of were on either extreme. They they loved the Bible so much that they really didn't care for each other, which to me was odd. Or they loved each other so much that uh, the Bible really didn't have a prominent place in the worship and the life of the church. So I began reading the Bible from cover to cover, got in the habit of at least once a year, usually around uh, Easter time, reading from in the beginning in Genesis 1 to the final amen in Revelation, like it was a book. I didn't know any other way to study at that point. In addition to that, reading people that I enjoyed reading from the Christian faith, like C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer, R.C. Sproul, I've listened to his radio show every, every day on the way into work, and they all kind of talked about this eternal nature of the scriptures and how it speaks to us today. And Francis Schaeffer was big on the flow of biblical history. And so from that, I kind of got this crazy idea that the closer the church kept to its historical roots, the more maybe accurate its doctrine and practices would be. There was this sense of throughout, especially in our modern age, from maybe 1960 up to that current day, that the church was being changed to conform more to the culture than the other way around. I don't know if that's true or not, or if maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. But I decided I was going to experiment with some older versions of the faith. And so in the small Mississippi town I lived in at the time, the oldest denomination there was the Presbyterian Church. And of course, they reach back into American history. But then I realized, you know, let's just cut out the middleman. If I'm going to go back to the roots of the church, I need to find some Messianic Jews. <laughs> that's what the first uh, church was. It were the Jews that believed that Yeshua and Yosef is the Messiah. Jesus, the son of Joseph. So I did, believe it or not, on this new thing that we had back then called the internet. (laughs) I hooked up with a Messianic Jewish rabbi who was an Orthodox rabbi, but was asked to leave his synagogue because of his newfound faith in Yeshua, Mm -hmm. uh, Messiah. I began attending synagogue 
in Memphis at a Messianic Jewish synagogue. Began observing the Sabbath every Saturday. I did that uh, for a brief period of time, for about a year. Mm-hmm. And then observed the Passover for the first time. And this rabbi was teaching me that the Sabbath meal, the Passover, indeed all the feasts that Israel were commanded to observe were all pointing to Christ. And they all had the same kind of elements, the symbolic wine and the bread, the prayers that they said out of their own prayer book, all pointed to Christ. And he would say things like, oh, this is what Paul was talking about when he said the Jews are without excuse, because God had been communicating to them, both in his word from the time of Moses and nature from before the time of Moses, all pointing to Christ. And so when I have a question, he taught me to first look at what Jesus says about it and how he talks about it. For instance, he talks about Adam and Eve as real people. I have to assume that Christ is not misleading me, and then Adam and Eve are real people. And so in that way, our thoughts are taken out of our modern age and stretched all the way back through history to the beginning of time. Our time. I have a point. I'm getting there. (laughs) Communion. So we're talking about communion. And so I want to look at communion and ask, Why is it important? Why do we do this ritual? Is it just a ritual? And what we see is Jesus in the New Testament using the Jewish feasts as teaching moments. When he speaks of himself being the living water, he's there during the Feast of Tabernacles where one of their Jewish rituals is they dip living water out of the well and sprinkle it on the crowd. So it's a picture of baptism, all sorts of things tied up in the Feast of Tabernacles. And if Christ is using the Jewish feasts as teaching moments for Jews at that time, then perhaps he can use the Jewish feasts as teaching moments for me. And so I began to, during this time, observe all of the feasts. And then one of the things I noticed was there are seven feasts. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's a coincidence. And there are seven days of creation. As I started looking at the seven days of creation, the seven feasts, And Christ using that as a teaching moment to us in the New Testament, there's at least a correlation there. And so as I see on the third day of creation, now whether you think that's 24 hours of creation or uh, seven long epics segments of creation, on the third segment of creation, God is creating the fruit. In the feasts that are implemented in the wilderness, they have the principle of first fruits comes to mind, where the first of the best of everything that we get from God goes back to God. It's his possession. And then we have Jesus being described by Paul in 1 Corinthians as first fruits from the dead. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I draw that line back to creation and even before creation. When I started asking, what is it in this ritual of the bread and the wine, the Holy Communion, it connects me back to the very earliest days of creation. And so in that respect, I am connecting with God from the very first time he said, let there be light, with the Sabbath meals being instituted to remember what God has done for us, with the Passover reminding us of God's deliverance through the blood of the Lamb, and then Paul saying Jesus is God's first fruits from the dead, and then tying that all together with Jesus saying, this is the blood of the new covenant, and he's holding a glass of wine. That added a richness and a deepness and this eternal picture of what that wine really is when we sip it every Sunday. Mm 
So I'm not only am I connected to God and Christ, I'm, I'm at his table at the Passover every Sunday when we're doing that. I'm recognizing his sacrifice for us. He equates his, the wine to his blood. I'm also connected to all those people that have taken of that communion in the past. Those people that I like to read, C.S. Lewis, every Sunday took of the communion just like I do every Sunday. But even back further than that, I'm connected to St. Margaret of Scotland, Thomas Aquinas, the King David, mm-hmm. who celebrated the Passover and celebrated the Sabbath, Moses, maybe even Adam and Eve. I'm connected to all those people. And even more awe-inspiring to me is that I'm connected to the person that I'm kneeling next to mm-hmm. when I sip the wine. And frequently, I, we sip from the same cup. We are all imbibing the same blood of Christ. And I'm doing that with Christians in the Southern Hemisphere, in the Northern Hemisphere, all around the world today, all time zones accepted, all at the same time. That's why it's so important to me. A sort of multi-dimensional connection, vertical and horizontal, across time, across the globe, we're connected. that I was I personally was born into the Episcopal Church in the 1970s and one of the greatest gifts that I was given is that I don't even remember my first communion I say that's a gift because I began receiving communion at such a young age that I just never knew anything other than being welcome to God's table mm. I can remember watching my father, who, as you know, is also an Episcopal priest. We would watch him from the pews presiding at the table, and then he would announce the gifts of God for the people of God. And we would all go forward together to receive the same bread, the same wine, the same body, the same blood of Jesus Christ, and all were welcome. I think that sense of mutual belonging got really deep into my bones Mm. because it was the ritual of my life. And, you know, I think everyone has to ask questions from time to time. Am I loved? Am I really loved? Am I really worthy? And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who don't really know where to go to find affirmative answers to those questions. I always knew that I was loved, that I was worthy, that I had a place at the table because it was something that I experienced in church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I think that's made a huge difference in my life. It's grace, right? That's what it's about yeah. is, is grace. Augustine defined a sacrament as an outward and physical sign of an inward and spiritual grace. So there are two elements present in every sacrament. There's an outward and physical sign that is part of the sacrament, but that sign is part of the deeper grace that penetrates our very being. So to me, communion, it's a physical and active expression. And following Jesus's feeding of the 5,000, for example, what we do in worship every Sunday has this pattern to it. First, we offer our gifts, then we pray for God's blessing over those gifts, and then we break the bread. It's also reminiscent of Jesus's body broken. His his self-offering on the cross. And then we all share that one bread and wine. 
I've never thought of that quite in that way before, which is good. Back to that, the principle of the first fruits and that the church had begun to practice this ritual, this ceremony on the first day of the week. There's probably all sorts of sociological reasons that people can come up with on why the first day of the week happened. It's when he was resurrected. Mm-hmm. In a way, our offering those gifts and that thanksgiving to him is our first fruits of the week. Yes. And I kind of think God is saying, just so I'm not asking you to do something I won't do myself, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you my firstborn son as an offering to you. And so what happens when people give stuff to each other? They start building community. They build that personal connection with one another. We become bonded, yes. Right. Which is sort of invisible, and yet it's very real. There's an important Greek word that we use to understand Holy Communion. In the Gospels, in Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples, he said to them, do this in remembrance of me. And the word that we translate remembrance there comes from the Greek anamnesis. Unfortunately, our English language doesn't fully express the meaning of that Greek word, which is more than just sort of calling to mind an event from the past. Anamnesis is actually to bring that experience of the past into the present. So it's like, you know, Jesus said to do this in remembrance of me. And every time then that we gather around a table as disciples and offer and bless and share the gifts, what we're doing is we are bringing Jesus into our present reality. We are there again at the table with Christ. We can take that thought maybe and stretch it back into that flow of biblical history that I talked about. Mm-hmm. Because the Sabbath meal, and we're, we're commanded in the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy as a way of knowing that God rested when he was done with his work. Just as Christ is at rest, he's still working, but he's done with his work. And even at the Passover, The ritual of the Passover is the youngest child asks four questions of the oldest person or the head of the table. Why are we doing this Passover? And it's that idea of remembering Mm -hmm. what God has done for us, which brings that up into our current day of when when we sip the wine and take of the bread, we're remembering that sacrifice that Christ made for us. In our tradition, we describe the sacrament of Holy Communion not as a memorial feast, simply as a practice of doing something again, simply because it's part of our ritual. But more deeply than that, we describe sacrament of communion as bringing into our present reality the real presence of Jesus. The memorial is for something that's dead. Right. Right. <laughs> yes, that's now, such a good way to put that. We something that's dead. We, no. we living Christ. And the living Christ is with us now. So it's mystery. We don't pretend to understand it fully, but we are assured that through this holy sacrament, we become one. We offer ourselves to God in response to God's offering of self to us. And the meal that we share then is that sacred experience of unity with God and with one another. So again, it's multidimensional. It's both vertical and horizontal and across time and across space. It's almost like eternal. Exactly like eternal.
response to the more mystical view of the communion. So I draw the distinction between the mystery, that is, it's clouded, we can't see it, we can't explain it a lot or completely. Maybe what we can explain is true, but it's not a complete explanation. And then that view that somehow there's a mystical, I don't want to die before I take communion kind of belief because that's my reset button. That's like blowing into a Nintendo 64 cartridge to make it work. I'm clean. Okay, now I'm ready to meet God. Or you know, there's some kind of like a data dump where I have to be there to take communion or somehow I've committed some great sin. Do you mm. draw a distinction at all between the mystery and the mystical? Like the communion is a talisman. Right. Some of what you're describing, I think, would fall into a category that I would say is superstition. And I think the distinction that I would draw is that communion is a sacrament through which we participate in our relationship with God. God, as scripture says, is love. And God is our creator, our redeemer. God is the one who sustains us through our lives. And God is real. And we are invited into a relationship with God. I think human beings sometimes have a tendency to avoid the relationship because relationships are difficult. Yes. Uh, relationships require something of us. And so that's where we have this danger of falling into superstition, as if just by practicing the ritual, we can accomplish something apart from our relationship with God. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to be careful with that. I think that the sacrament of Holy Communion is deeply meaningful to me, but it's meaningful because of that relationship that I have with God through Jesus Christ. It's not meaningful just because I think that participating in the sacrament is going to do something for me. I think that's a pretty shallow understanding of what communion is. And I would say that's not how Christ approached the Last Supper. His words were very concrete. This is my blood. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Not do this to protect yourself or any kind of superstition kind of thing. So. So part of the reason I wanted to have a conversation about Holy Sacrament or Holy Communion right now is that it's something we're missing during this pandemic. What do you feel like you're missing when we can't share communion? Well, to be honest with you, I feel like I'm starving sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's probably my own lack of faith. Sometimes I think maybe during this time, Jesus used a lot of agricultural parables in his teaching because that's who he was talking to. And so I tend to think that way. It's almost like we should be out in the fields working, gathering in the harvest, and he hasn't rung the dinner bell yet. We still have something to do or we can come back and sit at his table and eat our big homegrown meal around the long table with all of our friends and family there. I think that thought brings me some kind of comfort, but I still I still do miss it a lot. I miss bowing before I take my seat in the sanctuary. That's a ritual or a habit the Episcopalian in me likes to do. Mm -hmm. It's a recognition that God is uh, on his throne there behind the altar. I miss passing the peace with Alice who sits behind me and shaking Jim's hand across the aisle. I miss kneeling next to my wife on my left and Ronnie on my right. I miss the blessing. I miss signing that little red attendance book. 
<laughs> You're one of the good ones who actually does that. <laughs> but most of all, I, I really miss that grace that I have, that invitation that I have from God to connect with Him and all those saints through history to feel like I'm involved in something eternal. I really do miss that. I know that when we can get back together and do that, it's going to make it that much more special. From the, the first podcast that you had with Adam, and you talked about joy and how do you find that joy. I think maybe we find that joy most without seeking it, because if you seek it, it gets harder and harder to achieve. Mm. But I think we find that joy after being denied it. It's that whole thing of instant gratification. I want communion now. And God's saying, not yet, you still have some work to do. But after working in the fields all day and getting hot and sweaty and dirty and maybe beat up and talked down to, it's going to make it that much more special when we can gather around the table and put all those cares on God. And he's at the head of the table listening to us, feeding us. As you know, I have never in my life been this long without receiving communion. It's a new experience for me. So I've had to think hard during this time about how I can be spiritually nourished in a different way during this different season. And to tell you the truth, it has brought to mind for me the experience of Jesus's 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. We started our quarantine during Lent this year. That image of wilderness really resonates for me right now. This feels <laughs> like a wilderness experience. We don't know where we are. We don't know our way through this difficult time. We're having to live in a very different way. And the world does seem to be, even more than usual, a dangerous and threatening place. So in this story from the Gospels, just after Jesus was baptized, he also confronted the wilderness. Immediately after his baptism, he went there and he fasted. And it seems like that period of 40 days was a time for him to learn to rely deeply and solely on God, because that relationship would be what he would need for the ministry that would be ahead of him. And it was during that temptation that Satan tried to get Jesus to turn a stone into bread. That has sparked my imagination to wonder if we are also faced with that temptation to turn stones into bread. Now, there are lots of different ways of thinking theologically about Holy Communion, and I know some will see this differently, but I have begun to wonder, or I should say, I've, I've begun to really see that my experience of Holy Communion is that without the gathered community, without all the people around the table, without the bread that has been made by our bread guild, the wine that has been set out by our altar guild, without those real bodies and real tangible elements in the room, the meaning of communion is watered down without community. So perhaps we could, we have the power maybe to turn stones into bread. Mick communion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mick communion. 
virtual communion, drive-by communion. Uh, They're creative people endeavoring to do such things in the world. But I wonder, will those things really give the true spiritual nourishment of the sacrament of communion? I mean, there might be some spiritual good to such efforts. In fact, I'm sure there is. Even the desire to do something like that is, I guess, is a good thing. It's holy, right? right? Our prayer book says that we can actually experience spiritual communion simply by desiring communion with God Mm -hmm. and one another. It's something to think about. But going back to that story of Jesus in the wilderness, when Jesus was tempted to turn a stone into bread, his response to Satan was, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So it makes me think that this season, this wilderness season for us, is a season of fasting. And it can be a season when we have the opportunity to learn to rely more deeply on God by reading and listening for God's word as we are led through this wilderness, by seeking out that spiritual communion with God and with one another. And I love what you talked about earlier, Boyd, about maybe there is something that we need to do. There's work to be done before we can truly gather at the table again. And with all that's going on in the world right now, I wonder if part of our work right now is to build more authentic bridges in our communities, building those bridges between people of all races, building a more just society. Those are real and tangible expressions of true community. Perhaps that's what we need to be working on now to get to true communion with God. We're having some church now, right? (laughs) We are. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I agree with you. I think we become comfortable inside our walls and equate the church with the thing. The Mm -hmm. church is not the thing. The church is the way to the thing. And the thing is outside our walls. That's pretty significant if you think that God is saying, okay, you're not going to I'm not going to let you in your church. Mm-hmm. That's how important your church is to me. Your building is to me because I'm not going to let you there. I want you out uh, harvesting and loving people. Fill my, my world with the same grace that I fill your church building with. I think that ultimately communion is so important to me because it tangibly deepens my love of God and of neighbor. And in some ways I feel like I'm, just reach the the tip of the iceberg in that regard. I can continue to go deeper. I can continue to serve in ways that make this world a better place. I can build relationships with my neighbors in ways that make a difference. And it all goes to increasing my joy in this life. So I do miss communion and I really do look forward to sharing when we can to share it again. But I hope that I can take this difficult season as an opportunity to dig a little deeper, to try something new and different, to bring God's grace into the world. So sharing this conversation with you is exactly the spiritual food that I need for this wilderness journey. Likewise. So Boyd, you had a special request for how we would end today. To end the podcast, could you bless us with our favorite blessing, the hearts on fire blessing, (laughs) which makes me and Leslie cry every time we hear it. (laughs) I absolutely will. You know, it's funny, that blessing, I didn't come up with it. It is uh, based on a quote from William Sloan Coffin. For whatever reason, it really strikes a chord in our community. 
I don't know if this is true of other churches in our nation, but at St. Margaret's, this is our favorite. So yes, let's conclude with this blessing. May God give you the grace not to sell yourself short, grace to risk something big for something good, grace to remember that the world is now too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them. May God take your lips and speak through them. And may God take your hearts and set them on fire. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Boyd. Our time is up and our joy is complete. I appreciate you, Boyd, for being here. And I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us and spending this time with us today. As a reminder, please do send in your questions, comments, and ideas. Keep listening because it wouldn't be J-O-Y without you. is a production of St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thanks to Stephen Vano, who composed and performed our theme music, and to Heidi Soule, our producer.